Uh, my name is Tim Power. I am the pastor of Modern Worship here, and I want to welcome you. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for worshiping with us and seeking God's face with us. Uh, we are in a the second week of our new sermon series called Identity Crisis. We're talking about what it means to have our identity anchored in Christ Jesus. Um, identity is a big topic. We talk about identity in, in, in politics and every other area, area, sphere of reference. We can have an identity. As Christians, though, we think that our identity should not just be what we are told culturally to be uh, or how we understand ourselves individualistically, but how we are anchored in Christ Jesus and his finished work for us. So I want to start right away by getting into the scripture. Last week, you might remember, we talked about Christianity in the sense of the larger church, um, what a community anchored in Christ is supposed to be. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more down to earth about individuals as, as people who are trying to follow after Jesus with our lives. What does it mean to be anchored in Christ? What does it mean to have our identity in Christ? I want to start right away by getting into John chapter 1. Now, we're going to be talking, there's going to be some metaphor here. I just want to set that up. Uh, if you remember, it talks at the beginning of the book of John. This is the gospel of John where it's telling the story of Jesus' life. This gospel starts out with a great metaphor. It talks about Jesus being the light of the world, okay? He was the word of God that became light, and that, that, that's what we're going to be talking about in this passage of Scripture. Uh, starting in verse 9, it's talking about Jesus coming to the world, so... Uh, hear these words from John 1, starting in verse 9. It says, The true light that shines on all people was coming into the world. The light was in the world, and the world came into being through the light. But the world did not, didn't recognize the light. The light came to his own people, and his own people didn't welcome him. But those who did welcome him, those who, he, who believed in his name, he authorized them to become God's children, born not from blood, nor from human desire or passion, but born from God. Now, we'll, we'll unpack this a little bit, but if, if we could, just as we get started, would you just pray with me? Lord God, I pray right now that as we enter into your word, as we let it illuminate into our hearts and into our lives, I pray that you would let, let us have your eyes. Let us see things from your perspective. By only the power of your Holy Spirit, let us be able to see what you are speaking to your people today and help us to be transformed by your word, uh, not just by the word itself, but I pray that we would encounter you through this word. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. Um, this is a powerful passage of scripture. By the way, we uh, we had. Can you? Can somebody hand me one of those uh, these bookmarks? We we have these bookmarks that we. These are the, this is the second one we're handing out because we really think it's important. If we want to be conformed to the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ, we have to get into the Word of God. So one one thing we want to do is give you a way that you can do that very practically. Some people say, well, I want to read the Bible. Where do I start? Do I just start at the beginning? How much do I read? This is a really great way to read through the entire Bible in one year. And so we're actually making it really easy. You just have to read. Usually it's about three or four chapters per day. It doesn't take all that long, but it's really life-changing when you can do this. Um, starting to talk a little bit about identity. Um, every night when I put my kids to sleep, uh, 
right after we pray, I've got three sons, by the way. I've got a four-year-old, I've got an eight-year-old, and I've got an 11-year-old. Are you 11 now? Yeah, he just turned 11. I'm feeling the age now. Yeah. So, so now we, we've got a wide range of ages. But So what I've tried to do is I try to say to them right before uh, they go to sleep an identity statement. A statement. It's kind of like a mission statement, but it's about identity. And so what I usually will say is, um, and it's kind of a back and forth, I say, you're a man of God made in God's image. And then they say back to me, or we say together, we seek God's kingdom, not just ours, and we do what's right, even if it's hard. Okay, so that's an identity statement. Now, why am I sharing that? Well, am I sharing that because maybe uh, if you're not doing that and you're a parent, I'm just a way better parent than you. That's part of it. No, I'm just kidding. If you're new, please, no. I, I, I make a lot of jokes. I think God has a sense of humor. If you look at my face, you probably know God has a sense of humor. So... Please understand, I'm just making a joke there. No, I'm, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm an inconsistent parent on so many levels. If you were to ask my wife, Jessica, if you were to say, is Tim a really consist- consistently a good father, she'd probably smile and say, I love Tim. Because she does love me, and she wouldn't speak a bad word about me, but she's also an honest person, and she knows that I'm very inconsistent. This was, happens to be one of the very few things I've been consistent about in, in our parenting of our children. And it's just that I think identity is very important. I think that who we see ourselves to be is very key. Okay? Because, and we've talked about this in, 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 in months past, we've talked about this idea of identity. Who you believe you are has a lot to do with what you're going to accomplish today and in the rest of your life. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, and I've shared this before, but it's a Henry Ford quote where he says, uh, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And that's because what you think about yourself and who you believe yourself to be is going to shape your actions. And so when I'm trying to, to instill that, that you're a man of God, you're made in God's image, and, and, and have them, them say that out loud. It's like you're reminding yourself. And to be honest, we come to church, I, I, I believe this 100%, we come to church less to learn something new than to be reminded every week. Because most of us just need reminders of who we are. We all need reminders of who we are. And I think that if, if you've never done that for yourself, may, may, maybe think about making a statement for yourself that you can wake up in the morning and, and make it based around who you are in Christ Jesus, that you can say something just looking in a mirror. I know that sounds crazy, but looking in a mirror and saying, this is who I am in Christ. I'm a man of God. I'm a woman of God. I'm a child of God made in God's image, and that, that might change your day. It might change some of the actions you take every day or how you live your life. Um, the thing that I think is really, really key um, about understanding our identity in Christ is this. I'm going to give you the pithy statement right up front because I know I'm going to lose some of you during the sermon, okay? I'm not trying to make it boring, I promise, but I understand that the longer I talk, the more people might check out and start thinking about lunch. I'm sorry I said the word lunch because we've already checked out. Um, So I'm going to just give you this statement. So if you leave with nothing else, just take this with you. As Christians, our identity in Christ is not achieved. It is received. I'm going to repeat that. As Christians, our identity in Christ is not achieved. It is received. We'll unpack that a little bit. 
Uh, let me ask you this. It, who in here likes personality tests? Okay, a lot more of you like personality tests than raise your hands. Uh, if that wasn't true, there wouldn't be like hundreds of BuzzFeed articles that are saying like, tell us your political point of view and we'll tell you which Harry Potter character you're going to marry. Right? Because we want to know about ourselves. Because we all are very interested in ourselves and sometimes you may be interested in your spouse or your friends or anybody. You want to know what makes this person up. And um, so who here has done like Myers-Briggs personality tests? Um, I had to take a very, very long personality test as part of a, a psychological exam before I could become a licensed pastor. And you have to actually fill out like about 500 questions. Have you done that yet, Sean? You fill out 500 questions, and some of them make you wonder about humanity. So there, there was one question that kept coming back over and over again. It was like, um, do you oftentimes fantasize about what you will do to the people who have wronged you? That must be an issue for a lot of people, that it keeps coming up over and over again. And, and, so, and there was another one that really, I, I didn't know exactly how to answer this because I can tell, you're taking a psychological exam, right? They want to know if you're crazy. And one of the things that it said, one of the questions was, do you believe that there are good and evil spirits interacting uh, in your everyday world? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to become a pastor here, right? And so this is one of the bedrock foundations of Orthodox Christianity. I, I just mean by Orthodox, not Eastern Orthodox or Greek Orthodox. Just what most Christians have believed is that, that there are evil forces in the universe, that there are angelic forces in the universe, and that they are interacting with our everyday. So I said yes, and they didn't kick me out. So guess I answered that okay. But these personality tests are interesting because everybody wants to know about our character because we... we Something about our personality is, is, speaks to our identity, right? We want to understand our identity better. We want other people to understand our identity better. Um, I found a, there, I watched a really interesting TED Talk uh, a long time ago by a psychologist named Brian Little. And he is a behavioral um, psychologist. And what he really, really studies is what's called trait psychology, understanding who people are according to the traits that they live, that, that they uh, show in their everyday lives. And he actually has this really interesting thing called ocean. And it's five universal differences in personality. And, and it, it's those, those first letters, O-C-E-A-N. And you might even just kind of think about yourself or maybe think about somebody close to you when we go through these. So the first, the first universal difference in people is O, open to new experiences. And the opposite of that is closed to new experiences. So we all land on some, some line on that spectrum of you're very open to new experiences or you're very close. The second is conscientious uh, versus, and I think this is a nice way to put it, less detail-oriented. I'm going I'm to say that to my wife. I'm just less detail-oriented. Got my mind on other things. Um, e is this, uh, extrovert versus introvert. How many extroverts are in this room? And you can tell the introverts they're hiding under their chairs that I'm going to ask them to raise their hands. So, so extrovert versus introvert. Um, four would be this. Uh, a stands for agreeable versus disagreeable. How many disagreeables do we have in the room? Are we allowed to say for other people if they're the disagreeable ones? Um, <laughs> so how about this? Neurotic versus stable. I thought this is interesting because it's like a whole, a whole section devoted to if they think you're crazy or not. 
that that's just part of your personality. Maybe you're just a little neurotic. Everybody else is stable. So usually what they say is that these are the five universal trait differences in, 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 in people. Now, here's the interesting thing. What, what most, most trait psychologists believe now, uh, for a long time, and I, this tended to be more of the religious person's point of view, was that your core identity, who you are, there's a core identity, and surrounded by that is your traits, like the things we just talked about, and then your experiences. And so your traits are shaped by your experiences, your upbringing, your religious beliefs, any other thing. They might shape your traits a little bit, and then you have some traits that are just inborn. Um, and we've always thought, a lot of religious thinkers have always thought since, since ancient times, that you all the, beneath all of that, you have a core identity. You have a core identity that's separate from those things. So if, so if no matter what, besides your experience, besides your memory, there's something that's deeply you on the inside. Uh, what a lot of trait psychologists believe now is that, no, there's actually, you, you are basically the sum of your parts. Okay? I'm not saying I believe this. This is what a lot of trait psychologists believe. You're, you're really the sum of your parts and your experiences. That is your self. Okay? Um, in fact, uh, the, in, in his uh, TED Talk that I, that I got this list of, of universal traits about, uh, Brian Little has this theory where he says, you are not your traits and you are not your experiences. What you are, you're actually just what you accomplish in your life. And he finds that to be a hopeful thing. He finds that to be a, a, a good way of, so you're not just your traits, you're not just your experiences. You are actually what you accomplish in your life. Um, so that's what he thinks is, is the hopeful way to look at it. Um, now, I said this earlier, what we believe about ourselves really, really matters. Um, but it'd be silly to think that we develop these identities, that we, what we call ourselves, how we think of ourselves, uh, just in a vacuum. We actually develop our identity within the context of a culture and within the context of a community. Um, and here's, a, uh, let me make this statement, and to varying degrees you may agree or disagree, but I think that this is very, univer very universal. No matter who you are, you are desperate for someone's approval. And that shapes your identity. You are desperate for someone's approval. And you might say, well, no, I, you know, I'm very different than my family. I'm very different than everybody. But you're probably seeking someone's approval in your life. Um, actually, Tim Keller, who's a, a pastor, an awesome speaker and writer, he says this, that when you receive the esteem of someone you highly esteem, I know, tongue twister, when you receive the esteem, that means when you receive the respect uh, and adoration or call it what you will, of someone you highly esteem, that builds what we call self-esteem. We think of self-esteem as just what we think about ourselves. Usually what you think about yourself is very closely tied to what other people think about you, especially these people who you are seeking their approval. Now, <clears throat> cultures have always decided different ways to form identities, but I want to talk about two very different ways that cultures in the past and maybe where we are right now have formed identities in people's lives. Um, first, let's talk about traditional cultures. And this could be the traditional culture that we, we encounter in Scripture um, and also most traditional societies around the world. And there's still a lot of societies that function this way. You actually defined your identity in a traditional culture. You existed this way, to serve your family and your community. 
That was your identity, was to serve your family and your community. Your individual needs were secondary, and listen to this, your worth in a traditional culture was determined by how much you contribute to the larger society. That is a traditional cultural mindset, and that is changed a lot in our modern culture. Would you agree? That's changed a lot. And here, here's kind of how what I think of our modern and maybe more westernized uh, view of how we now shape our identities. Uh, in our culture, you exist for the sole purpose of sex, self-actualization. You exist for the sole purpose of self-actualization. Your needs are primary and your worth is determined by how well you achieve your personal desires and goals. Doesn't that sound very individualistic American culture? You exist for your own goals and your own purposes. Now, those are two broadly different views, ways of, of creating self-identity. And I would propose this, that neither are the Christian way to have an identity. That be, either of those are false ways to have an identity. One being that you just live to contribute to your culture. The other being that you live just for your own needs and your own desires and self-actualization. I want to read a verse in that I think this encapsulates very much what our identity in Christ is. This comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says this, You are saved by grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift. It is not something you possessed. It is not something that you did it's not something you did that you can be proud of. I want you to hear this again. You are saved by God's grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's, God's gift. It's not something you possessed. It's not something you did that you can be proud of. I want to say this. The radical message of Christianity is this, that our identity... Your identity is where your deepest longing, your greatest desperation collides with the amazing grace of God's love in Christ Jesus. And that's heady stuff, so I want to say it again. Your identity is where your deepest longing, your deepest desperation collides with the amazing grace of God's love in Christ Jesus. A lot of people, whether they say that they're living just to, in, in that traditional way where I'm living just to serve my community or I am living just so that I can find self-actualization, I can be who I feel like I am on the inside, both of those fall short of this because you know what? Either way, you're trying to please a culture. You are trying to please a culture. You're trying to please a person. And oftentimes, um, we're let down when we try to please people, aren't we? Um, there is, there's a, a, a great sci-fi show on Netflix that I'm not going to say the name of because some of you will judge me that I watch it. Um, so I'm not going to say it, but there was a great episode of this science fiction show where uh, it, was, it was kind of making fun of our uh, social media culture. And everyone had on their phones an app where they didn't just like or dislike social media. What they would do is they would judge people as they walked around. So you have a score that is basically your identity score. And so as you're walking around, if you have a bad interaction with, with a waiter, uh, you might downgrade the waiter. And uh, it's about this girl, and she, she really wants to go to her friend's wedding, but she knows she can't go to the wedding unless she gets a score of 20 and maintains that score of 20. And that's kind of how a lot of us live our lives, is we, we, we are just trying to keep a certain score of our identity to please 
someone or to please some aspect of our culture because we, we just hope that, that we can please somebody. But guess what? You know what? If we are living our lives just so that we can please the people around us, just so that we can achieve our dreams, just so that we can have an identity in our careers, you know what? Your career is going to fail at some point. I know even the best of us, the hardest working ones, we will have up, upturns and we will have downturns. We'll have people in our lives that we can please for a certain amount of time that we will let down and that they will let us down. The radical message of the, the word of God that we find in the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you can never do enough to earn your identity in Christ. As Christians, your identity is not achieved, it's received. It's only by grace. It's only by grace. Because our identity is where our deepest longing, our greatest desperation collides with the amazing grace of God's love in Christ Jesus. Where your desperation meets God's grace is where you have an identity. Um, I recently went to take a class in Kansas City at, at St. Paul School of Theology, and uh, we were, it was a spiritual formation class, which is a real fancy seminary wor- way of saying spiritual growth uh, or growing in God's Word, and, and that's what the class was about, spiritual formation and discipleship. One of the things we had to do, and I'll bet some of the, you this would be the most horrifying experience, we had to stand up in front of a group of about 20 people, and we had to share our basically had to share our testimony or basically share our how what what our relationship with God is like how we've gotten to this place and um, it, that's that's kind of a vulnerable thing to do right and so it, it, we we have we basically got about an hour's notice hey we're gonna, we're gonna all share you've got five minutes to share your life story in God and um, there there was you know it can I just say something? I'm, I'm going to confess something. I'm a judgmental person. Am I the only judgmental person in here? Some of you are judging me for being a judgmental person. And shame on you. But there was one guy in the class who hadn't said anything the whole, uh, the, the, the whole several days that we were there together. And we're there for like 12-hour days. It's just so intense, okay? He hadn't said anything. And I just had kind of prejudged him like, he, this guy's just kind of a blank slate. He's got, he's got nothing to add. Um, he, he didn't look like a particularly dynamic person who had that much to add to the conversation. And I just figured that, uh, this is my vulnerability coming out. I just figured he wouldn't have a great story to tell. Okay? I figured he wouldn't have a great story to tell. He stood up. And uh, kind of haltingly, he wasn't the greatest public speaker. He kind of haltingly started his story by saying, well, I grew up in New York. Um, and he said, I was Catholic. I grew up Catholic. And he said, uh, from the time I was about eight years old, I started being abused by my priest. And I was abused by my priest until I was 13. I just got so fed up. I told my parents, I'm never going to church again, and I hate God. And he said then, then he left the church completely, was just kind of living agnostic, atheist lifestyle, uh, just didn't care about God, just didn't care about God. And he said he, he met a girl uh, and when, when, when they were young adults, and they, they ended up getting married, and she convinced him to go back to church. And they got involved in a church, and he started kind of regaining this sense of, of, of relationship with God until the, 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 the church had two pastors, and both pastors fell into sin. And the church shut down. 
Very soon after that, this, this, he, by this time, his wife and he had had two kids together, and his wife came to him and said, I'm leaving you. I fell out of love with you. I'm leaving. Um, so he's been hurt by the church several times. He's been heartbroken, and he's, he's trying to raise two little girls on his own. He said that he, he just fell into this funk, and he's laying in bed one day, and he, he said on his nightstand table, he had two things. He had a Bible, and he had a gun. And he said, I'm going to pick between one of these two. And he said, I picked the Bible up. And he said, I, I don't always like this. I don't think this is always the best way to use the Bible because the Bible is a book that, that has a lot of nuance and needs to be studied. But he did one of those where you just open the Bible the first place it lands. And guess where it landed? The book of Job. You know the book of Job? Uh, so it landed in the book of Job. If you know anything about the book of Job, it's just about a guy whose life gets turned in terrible directions. He loses his kids. He loses his wife. He loses all of his money. He had a bunch of money, and he lost everything. And personally, personally, I never lead people to the book of Job. I think about the book of Job like it's a problem that somebody has to solve. Like, why did God put this in the Bible? But this guy was broken. He was desperate. He needed to encounter God. And God brings him to the book of Job, and he said, you know, it, it saved my life. It saved my life. In his moment of greatest desperation, he met the grace of God. Now, now, here's the thing. That story, when did that story go from being tragic to interesting? When did that story go from being maybe just another sad statistic to being a story that after I, I, I told the guy before I left, I said, listen, I can't look at you without crying. Joy. Not, not like, oh, what a sad fella. No, I see this guy, and every time I said, your story blows my mind, and it makes me fall in love with Jesus every time I, I just see your face because I see what Jesus did for you. And our moment of greatest desperation, when it collides with the grace of Jesus Christ, that's where we have our identity. That's what makes us different. That's what makes us living for something that's totally unlike anything in this world. Not what our culture is telling us to live for. We're living for the culture of the kingdom of God, which is something altogether different. We're living for a God who, who loved us so deeply. He sent his only begotten son to die for us so that we could not just live eternally someday, but we could live lives that are radically changed because in our desperate moment, we met the grace of God and it made all the difference. Maybe that is where your story is today. Maybe you're on the desperate side of that divide. Where even if you, hear, hear me out here, you may, may have all, all, already accepted the doctrines of the church, but you've never met him in that desperate place where you go from believing in God to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ because of what he's done for you, where your greatest desperation has met his amazing, incredible grace. So I'm just going to, as the band comes forward, just let's just close our eyes together, if you would. Let's just get quiet before the God for a second. Get quiet before our, our loving God. Um, 
if that is where you're at today, where you're desperate, you feel like you don't know who you are or who you're supposed to be, I want you to know that you are loved, not because of what you've done. It's not something that you've achieved, but it is something that you can receive. Your identity in Christ is something you can receive today by saying yes, by saying yes to his amazing grace, by saying, God, I just want to give myself to you. Here's a crazy thing about our culture. Our culture is all about winning. Here's the culture of the kingdom. It's all about surrendering. Our culture wants to win, to conquer, but the greatest thing you can do in the kingdom of God is to surrender your life to him. And if you surrender your heart to him, that can make all the difference in the world. So I'm going to say a prayer, and maybe if this is where you're at, you're just desperate, you could say yes today and say, I want a new identity. It's not shaped on who I am or what I've done or what I can be for my community or what I can discover in myself. I want it to be based on who you are, what you've done. Lord God, we want to surrender to you right now all that we are. We just want to give ourselves to you. We want to give our hearts to you. We want to give our lives to you, God. We do not want to be the center of our own universe. We don't want our careers to be the center of our universe. We don't want our relationships with other people to be the center. We want you to be the center, and out of that flows all of the love that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. We want to be different because you've made us different by the power of your amazing grace. So God, we surrender our hearts to you, God. We surrender our hearts to you. Whether it's the first day we've ever surrendered, whether we just need to surrender again today to say, God, I want to be who you called me to be. I want to be the child of God that you have called me to be today, so I surrender all. I surrender all because I want to be new. I want to be made new today, God. I want to be made new. I want to be a new creation that lives differently than this culture of this world tells me to live. I want to live the culture of the kingdom. Yes, Lord God, we want to say yes. We want to surrender ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.